This podcast and the following message come from Allianz Travel Insurance. Discover why more than 70 million Americans trust Allianz Travel Insurance to protect their travels. Get a quote for your next trip at AllianzTravelInsurance.com. And welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer. I read a lot of travel articles. That's how I prepare for the show. That's how I prepare for life as a quote-unquote travel expert. Uh, And recently, there was one in the Wall Street Journal that had such a fascinating title. I had to click through and read the whole thing. The headline was, The Hidden Ecosystem of Free Vacation Stuff. To help me discuss what is this hidden ecosystem, I have Dawn Gilbertson on the line. She is a travel columnist for the Wall Street Journal. Hey, Dawn, thank you so much for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Oh, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Pauline. So tell me, what is this hidden ecosystem? Well, I mean, it's it's these Facebook groups where people that are leaving, you know, a particular hotel or destination post pictures of items that they no longer need and they're free for the taking for other vacationers. Huh. And so... And so these are people who don't necessarily know one another and they post pictures that they post lists or, or, and do they have to then confirm a time for that person to pick it up? I mean, what are the logistics of how this happens? Well, it's kind of a free for all in in many ways. I mean, it's more organized in some places like Disney um, than it is say in Las Vegas, where I first uh, came across it in, in some Facebook groups. I was like, why are people posting photos of, you know, like a, a case of water uh, leftover mm-hmm. liquor, a ice chest, a coffee maker, you know, a picture of it in the ice machine room. And and what I found out was uh, in certain hotels, especially in Las Vegas, that's just the point where everybody's kind of decided that's where they're going to leave it so that nobody, huh. you know, doesn't get lost in the hall and so forth. But it, it, and so I came across, you know, this other, this separate Facebook group that is just dedicated to this thing. It's called Las Vegas Pass It On Baby. And, you know, it is, it is kind of serendipity, really, because I was there a few weeks ago for the Taylor Swift con- concert. I took my daughter, and I was going lucky to try. You. Yeah, I know, lucky her. <laughs> I was yeah. trying. I was trying to. I wanted to see, like, logistically, how it really did work. I mean, I had already interviewed people who have picked up stuff and, and left stuff, but I, I wanted to see, you know, what what maybe I could. I could get, you know, mainly for the column. And the only thing that was available on the, you know, the day that I was there, I was only there for 24 hours, was a bottle of Tito's and uh, vodka. And I, <laughs> I I just didn't need it. I mean, plenty of people checking right. into Vegas would, would welcome that. Sure. So so that's kind of, that's how it works. Um, in, in the Disney vacation clubs, it seems to me like some of them, they're not official free cycle groups, you know, those buy nothing groups, but right. but they call themselves some of them free cycle, like the different timeshares in, in across the country. And those, it seems to me you can get a much bigger haul in, in those groups. Uh, you know, I mean, I've seen, you know, you know, people basically, you know, since they, a lot of them do week to week, you know, they're checking out and they've got all these groceries. They can't take them on the plane or they don't want to take them in the car. So like you could, you could really get a good start on your grocery shopping, <laughs> you know, at some of these uh, Disney places. But one rule, a lot of these groups have, you cannot ask for stuff. You cannot say, Hey, ah. I'm coming in for the 4th of July. You know, I really could use a case of beer. Right. Right. And that's because there's an, an ethical reason behind this. You, you, you kind of alluded to it in the name of this type of activity, but well, what are the ethical underpinnings of this? 
the the overall underpinnings of this is just a modern version of pay it forward, right? I mean, I'm sure you you have with your family, you know, in all your travels all the years. Used we used to be we just see someone at the pool, right? And we'd give them, you know, here, here's our boogie boards, here's our beach chairs, right. here's some books. Yeah. But now there's just an organized way to do it. So I guess I was talking about global ethics. I mean, people are doing this because they want to be wasting. Oh, less. oh, oh, hundred percent. Yes. Be... Okay. I miss. Yeah. No. hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. No. No. They want. They. You know. Instead of. You know. Chucking. How many of us have checked out of a hotel room? Just chucked a bunch of stuff in the trash or left it in the mini fridge. You know, hoping maybe that the housekeeper might be able to benefit. Though, from what I've learned, you know, some hotels have policies against that. So then the stuff just ends up in the landfill. And so yeah. this is a way to reduce waste. Now, you had one of the readers who commented on your article saying, I don't think this is good because I always leave it for the chambermaid, that those people have have difficult lives often, and I think it's best to give it to the people who clean the rooms. But you kind of, you kind of dealt with that. Not, not all hotels allow chambermaids to keep things they find in the rooms, right? I don't think many do. I mean, at least that's oh. their official policy. I, I don't think right. so. I and mean, that's what I that's what I learned from this. You know, I, I talked to one of the one of the unions and and then I did talk to a large chain in Las Vegas and they told me their protocol is anything left in the room is to be sent immediately to lost and found. Now that's great if you forgot your phone, you know, or your iPad or your laptop. Uh, but Food. I mean, who's, no one's going to go back and reclaim food. So, what happens to that food after that? So, I mean, I do feel like this is a way to make sure someone else benefits. Yeah, and as you said, it's not new. I, I remember reading in Cheryl Strayed's wonderful memoir oh, yeah. of her hiking the Pacific Coast Trail, and hikers would leave each other gear, things that you could really, really use if you didn't have it. Well, and the same thing happens. I mentioned this briefly, but I, I've since learned of more groups. You know, same thing happens in national parks. You know what I mean? Like in Yellowstone, people leave bear spray uh, and huh. other, you know, other necessities that you certainly aren't going to need back in New York most right. days. <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. So, I mean, I think what what it taught me. I mean, I was I was aware of them, but I think if you're going to a destination, you know, just hunt around, see see if there is one of these Facebook groups, whether you want to share or whether you want to benefit from some of these leftovers. Yeah, I thought I thought it was a great idea, and I we didn't discuss talk, talking about this, but I hope you'll also indulge me. You took three transatlantic flights recently on airlines. I always get questions about, and I haven't been able to fully answer them because I haven't been on them yet. But just recently, a bunch of fairly new airlines. Well, French B has been around for a while, but Play, Norse, and French B are going from the U.S. to Europe and charging far less than the competition, but that also raises eyebrows. It makes people wonder, well, are these going to be flying tin cans? Are they going to be really uncomfortable? You took all three of them within one week, was it? I did it last week, yes. Oh, my goodness. Can you tell us about them and and, and what they were like, how, how, how your experiences were? Obviously, they're safe. I don't think the FAA would allow them to fly into the U.S. unless they were safe. Right. But what are the other differences between them and standard carriers well, besides the cost? Well, I will, I will start by saying, you know, I'm not, you know, I think people tend to think of travel, a lot of travel reporters, you know, that we always fly in the front of the plane and have elite status on, 
you know, Delta American United or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm, I'm just not that travel reporter. Uh, the only right. airline I have status on is Southwest. I mean, I fly all the airlines, but just, I, I like to give people that, that background because this article really, I, I didn't take these trips really for people that have elite status with Delta and fly Delta one. You know what I mean? So I, I did it. And you took them anonymously. The Wall Street oh, Journal paid your right. way. Yep. These were not freebies. Right. hundred percent. And I think that's the only way I've done it before with some other budget carriers in the U S but it's really the only way you can learn the ins and outs. You know what I mean? Cause if, sure. if you're just going to look through, you know, all of this, you know what I mean? If you're just going to look through their offers or go on an inaugural flight and there's nothing wrong with going on an inaugural, but you're not going to get a taste of what most travelers are going to experience. Of course. So yeah. I will say overall, I would fly every single one of them again if it meant the chance to go to Europe. You know, you yeah. know how high ticket prices are this summer. I mean, they're, they're I know nuts. They, they went up, I think, 4% just between February and March. Yeah, uh, they're I mean, up, I believe, eight percent from twenty twenty two. Well, and it's then disheartening. There was a there was a stat on United's earnings call uh, yesterday where, and I, I don't know the ex- I can't remember the exact metric, but basically one measure of fares was up thirty one percent over two thousand and nineteen. So, oh and, and so they were talking about you know as you know every every publication is written you know all the, the unbelievable demand to Europe. So yeah. a lot of people are going to see these airlines turn up in their search results. The Norse, the play. French B. And so I, I flew them all. And one thing that surprised me, and I, I purposely didn't do a ton of research. I knew the plane types, et cetera, et cetera, but I really didn't. I wanted to experience it like somebody who, you know, was sitting in Chicago, not Chicago is a bad example, Boston, and saw that come up and go, oh, I wonder if it's worth taking a chance, you know? So hmm. Norse and uh, French B uh, both fly wide body jets nonstop. Wow. Nonstop. Oh. I mean, I was on an A350 from Paris to LAX on Saturday and it had <laughs> in-flight movies. Do you know what I mean? So, so yeah. it, they, they have, I think people's images when you say budget airlines, and again, I also have zero issues with Spirit and Frontier for the right price. You know what I mean? As long I as find people- this, this, I have, Spirit sometimes feels to me, I mean, the, the seats are so damn Cringe. thin yeah. and they're always trying to sell you things. But other than that, if the price is right, I will take it. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's the only way a lot of people are able to fly today, frankly. It really is. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. as long as you know, if you go into it blind, I mean, if you fly American Airlines all the time and you decide to take a trip on Spirit of Frontier, then of course you're going to be shocked. They, <laughs> they charge for everything, as do these right. As do these these transatlantic airlines. They do they do charge for everything. But as with the Spirit and Frontiers and Allegiance of the World, you can buy a different ticket type. Like for instance, the ticket I bought, it, this was all in economy. I mean, these airlines don't have first class though. Norse and French B both have like a I call it an extra legroom thing. They call it premium economy, but it's really huh. not premium co- economy like you might expect on a Delta, for example. But you know they were extra legrooms. But I I flew economy. And on Norse, the ticket I bought, which was basically a step above basic economy, came with a meal and a check bag. So not um, bad. Yeah. So it was, you know, and also um, out of New York, I really wanted to fly to Stewart. Have you flown out of Stewart? No, not yet. Not yet. So it's, you know, 90 minutes out of the city. And that was easier than I expected. That was for, uh, that was for um, play. Right. And play is the one where you stop in Iceland. Uh, so I met people on that plane. Some were going to Iceland, some were going to Paris, some were going to Berlin, some were going to Dublin. Mm-hmm. 
So the connections all happen in Iceland. But for a $29 bus ride? Yeah. Out of the bad. Port Authority nonstop? I mean, how, how, how long have you waited yeah. in, a, in an Uber to JFK? In your <laughs> article, you do point out one potential downfall, which is, uh, I guess, uh, carry-on luggage. I found that when I when I flew EasyJet or Easy Ryanair, Jet. I flew I flew EasyJet from Dublin to Portland and to to Dublin to Krakow. Yeah, and I was wheeling my carry on luggage into the gate area, and heads whipped around to <laughs> stare at me because they knew what was going to happen. <laughs> my carry on was way too big, and uh, at the gate. I had to pay almost the amount of the ticket to bring it right. onto the plane with me. They're pretty strict about carry-on sizes on these on these jets too, and they're not the usual. Are they? Are they our carry-on sizes? Well, no, or they're they not. That's smaller? what. That's what. It's slightly smaller. I mean, I didn't yeah. measure my bag. I mean, I have. I have the same away bag I've had for since you know since pre-pandemic, and right. and it it just it really like. French B, I mean, it really surprised me. I mean, they made me, and I will tell you, it was tight. The bag was tight in their sizer, but it's just something people need to be aware of because we're also used to going with a carry-on, you know what I'm saying? And they don't, they don't necessarily measure it or weigh it. I mean, they certainly do for those free personal items, you know, for people who don't sure. want to pay fees, but that's not the case here. So that was, that was really illuminating to me. And frankly, if I were to fly any of these again, or if almost even to Europe again, even on some of this, I think I would just, um, I think I would just check a bag. Honestly, huh. it was, well, it was just kind of stressful. Yeah. You probably know about this hack, but a lot of people are apparently bringing pillowcases on board stuffed with clothing, which they're pretending are pillows. Well, that happens a lot on frontier and spirit. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Like, <laughs> this, this to me, these airlines in terms of the, uh, the carry on, uh, and I did not anticipate this were more strict than than Spirit and Frontier and Allegiant. Um, oh. And if I may, one other one other risk here with with yeah. you know with these airlines, you know they don't have the robust flight schedules that a Delta, American, mm. United, Air France have. So sure, you so really if something have, goes wrong, you could be stranded for a couple of days. Right, right. So that's just something you know what I mean. Like I, I think we could all sort of deal with that. You know, if it was a vacation and we had a nice amount of time, you know what I mean? And whether you get an extra night in Europe, but like if you're going for a wedding or something, I mean, you really have to build in a buffer there in case nothing happened on any of my flights, but you know, I I took three. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, great advice. I love reading your column. Thank you so much, Dawn, for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Thanks for having me. It was a great time. And we have another word from the sponsor of today's podcast, Allianz Travel Insurance. And they're right about this. Vacation is the best time of the year. Don't let it get ruined when unexpected problems arise. Allianz Travel Insurance can safeguard your trip investment, reimburse covered emergency medical care, cover eligible costs during a travel delay, and more. Get the insurance trusted by over 70 million American travelers. Find your plan at AllianceTravelInsurance.com. Our next guest is Dawn Barkley. She's written an important new book. It's called Traveling Different, Vacation Strategies for Parents of the Anxious, 
the inflexible, and the neurodiverse. Hey, Dawn, thank you so much for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's an honor. Well, I know you have a you have a legacy as I do in the travel industry. My legacy is uh, that starting when I was four months old, my parents would take me to Europe every year to update Europe on $5 a day and then Europe on $10 a day, etc. And because of that, whenever my father asked about traveling with children and how to do it well, he gave a one word response. He would say, don't. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess I was a handful, but I wanted to start with you because you give such good detailed advice in this book for parents who have children who might be autistic or on the autism spectrum or who might have other uh, neurological issues. Uh, And I think a lot of our listeners will say, will be starting with the same response my father has, which is, why do it? So I wanted to get that out of the way first and then get into some of the strategies for doing this well. So, so why should you travel with a child who might be anxious or who might not do well in new situations? Yeah, you, make, you bring up a really good point because the truth is that every child becomes anxious and inflexible when they're taken out of their comfort zone. Children mm. thrive on predictability and routine. And as you and I know, travel is anything but that. So right. uh, it's even more so when a child is on the spectrum. And there was a study done in 2018 of a thousand special needs parents run by IBCCES, which is the International Board of Credentialing and Continuing Education Standards. So they interviewed a thousand special needs parents and found that of a thousand, 87% just refused to travel. But of that number, 93% were willing to do it if They found people who understood what they needed and they knew where to go and what to do, which was another great reason for writing the book. Now, IBCCES updated that survey in 2022, and they found that that 87% number had gone down to 78%, which is great, even though it's still more than three quarters of the families were not traveling. It's still an improvement. And the 93% number went up to 94%. So I went to Meredith Tekken, who is the president of IBCCES, and asked, what do you attribute this to? And she said the number of organizations that are now educating and credentialing various uh, entities, whether they're hotels, restaurants, uh, theme parks, museums, you name it. So there there are many more uh, locations that are available that are uh, aware of what families on the spectrum need or are willing to and able to cater to that. What I right. found in my my um, research with parents was that most of them just were nervous that the child would uh, have a sensory meltdown and they would be judged mm. badly as parents and the children would be judged badly as children. And that was what was keeping them from traveling. Yeah. But those who did, which I guess is a small fraction of the parents uh, uh, or the families uh, who are dealing with these issues, uh, those who did, did they find it to be a rewarding experience? Very much so. They found that these were memories that they could take with them forever. And they knew that when the child was older, they perhaps would not get that opportunity again. 
Uh, and one of the sets of parents even said it was surprising how much their children remembered when they got to school and they were talking about huh. the, the, the elections of that year. And they were saying, oh, they remembered that when they went to the White House, there was a bowling alley and uh, wow. they were just able to remember. And, you know, it made them special among their, you know, other children. And they, they right. just felt they knew more. So, okay, so we're going to start with the positive and then let's get into some of the difficulties. Okay. Uh, You do a lot in this book about safety issues. And there are certain kids at certain stages in life who may be prone to wandering away if they're neurodiverse. If this is an issue, and, and frankly, you know, anybody who has a toddler, toddlers wander away. So this isn't just kids who are neurodiverse. How do parents deal with that fundamental issue if they have kids who tend to wander? Yeah, the eloping issue is definitely an issue. Um, and parents offered me a number of suggestions. One said that they sew a GPS into their children's clothing. Uh, wow. Another would write their phone number and name on uh, the child's arm with a marker and then put a liquid bandage over it so that if it rained or the child sweated, it didn't... Uh, ruin the the words and they could still be huh. read. Uh, and one parent before every morning, no matter where they are, they take a picture of their children in their clothes of the day so that if by any chance the child gets away, uh, they're able to identify them more easily. Uh, and so those seem like great ideas, but I think the most important, some tethered the child and had huh. them like on a, a, you know, and I know we think, oh, we don't want to do that. But really it's, it's not a bad idea if you have a child who's sure. going to run. <laughs> so there was a lot of, but I mean, parents have to be alert at all times about where their children are, whether they're on or off the spectrum. Sure. Absolutely. And you also talk about making travel more comfortable for children and more appealing. So that might include how you pack and letting them carry some of their own things, right? Yeah. That's all part of making the, um, the vacation, a more child-centric vacation. So I do advise even vetting two or three vacation options with a certified autism travel professional. And there are people who are who are skilled in uh, preparing trips for those on the spectrum. Many of them are special needs parents themselves. So vet the trips and then let the child decide. Let the child pick the clothing they're going to bring and the toys they want to bring. And if there are too many toys, maybe ship them ahead. I spoke huh. to one father who's on the spectrum himself who does that all the time, and it's it's proved very um, beneficial for him. And then let them pick one or two things to do every day of the trip. So again, they have a vested interest in the success of the trip. Yeah, actually, that's that's a bit of advice that I've been giving for a long time, that if you don't want to have kids who complain all the time, let them plan part of the trip. And that way, they get invested in it. They want their day to be successful. And so they're more likely to be patient with the days planned by a sibling or planned by their parents. Absolutely. And also, if they have a special interest, as many children on the spectrum do, then build the trip mm. around that. If your child is in love with dinosaurs and talks about them all the time, why aren't you going out to Wyoming or Utah or wherever there are, you know, dinosaur exhibits. And it doesn't have to be out there. Um, in Connecticut, there are plenty of dinosaur exhibits. So it might huh. be right in your own backyard. It's just a matter right. of doing some, some special interest research. Now, you make, uh, you give a lot of, of attention to what you call social stories or what 
well, not just you, but these are uh, these are uh, this is a, a method, I guess, of helping. Uh, kids on the spectrum. What are social stories? You know, social stories are a method that autism consultant Carol Gray developed, and she's got books on this if people want to read about it further. It's sort of an engaging and interactive way to help those on the spectrum cope with a new or problematic situation. So there are stories written from the child's point of view that use narration as well as photos and drawings to guide a child through an experience. Um, preparing them for social interactions that might be required and prompting desired responses. So I'll give you an example. A, a story for a child on the spectrum to Florida might include travel details, things he or she might be nervous about, people they might meet, reassurance that parents will always be with them all the time, and activities that they like and can anticipate enjoying. Hmm. And so, so this is a way to plan for the trip and to build up a good type of, of anticipation for yeah. the trip, right? One way, along with role play, along with videos, which I strongly uh, encourage people to look at because YouTube has, uh, you can, th through YouTube, you can see every aspect of that vacation, uh, either that or something that the supplier might have available on their website. But that's the beauty of technology. You can preview everything. I had one mm. father who would review every ride of a theme park with his son ahead of time so they could rule out what they weren't going to use. Wow. Wow. You also go deeply into different modes of transportation because before you get to the vacation, you have to get to the vacation. And um, each one has different challenges. Uh, you actually come out in favor of rail travel. Why, why can rail travel be a good way for, for folks who have kids on the spectrum to travel. Yeah, it's a good point because if you drive, which I also think is a great idea, but if you drive, sure. um, you have lots of room for all the things you need to bring, whether it's you might want to bring sheets and, and blankets from home because they have that familiar texture and scent. So you have that extra space. But on a train, Amtrak has very liberal uh, baggage policies. So you can bring a lot with you. Plus, you can spend time concentrating on the child rather than the road. And there's room to walk. So you can walk to the different cars if the child is getting antsy. They might find the um, the windows, uh, you know, the, the scenic view cars really wonderful to observe the scenery. There's always a place to eat if they get hungry. And if your child uh, needs more privacy and more quiet, you can get a sleeper car. So you can be, mm -hmm. you know, you have your own area, probably with your own bathroom, and, and you have a little bit more privacy when you need it. Yeah. And you dedicate a lot of time to what I think after reading this book is probably the most difficult uh, transportation option for parents of neurodiverse children, which is flying. But of course, there's many places you can only get to uh, by flying. So what are what's some of the key advice if that's the, the mode of transportation that your family is going to take? I would always try to um, find one of, uh, there's an organization called The Arc that runs a program called Wings for Autism, which lets you uh, do a dress rehearsal of the airport experience before you're actually having the actual trip, which is going to be stress laden huh. in itself. So you yeah. can walk through and you can see what's what and your child can experience that. So when they come back, it's a familiar experience. You can also look into TSA CARES, which is a program that varies airport per airport, um, but at its best, 
they will assign someone to you that can uh, shadow you through the airport and get you through the more difficult situations such as uh, security. So that's definitely something worth looking into. And let me ask you about TSA CARES just for one more moment. Sure. So that's great for parents of neurodiverse children. What about if you have a, a person in a, a wheelchair or has who, somebody who has some other form of disability? Is this a broader program that the TSA runs? You would have to try that uh, and see, ah. but I, I believe they would probably be willing to help you because it's it's TSA CARES, not TSA sure. CARES Invisible Disabilities. So I would hope, <laughs> right, I would hope right. but my, my wheelhouse was much more in the invisible disability sure. market. Right, right. Yeah. And you also give some advice on when to get on the plane. I thought that this was really smart. Yeah, it's really dependent on your child, and you know your child better than anyone, but some children really don't like the crowds and, and don't like being in a confined area, so you would want to wait as long as possible to get on board, uh, but you want to be sure to mention to the gate agent that that's what you're doing so they don't close the door without you. Um, <laughs> right. I thought that was a really good point. Um, and some children are excited to get on board, but again, it's also knowing where you're going to sit on the plane. If a child is going to be disturbed by all the people in front of them, you probably mm. want a seat up front and you're going to want to book early and you're going to want to tell your travel professional to get your seat up front and pick whatever flight's going to let you do that. Right, right. No, lots to think about, but, but you raising these issues, I think then helps parents wrap their minds around how they should do this. Now, that being, oh, and let's talk about cruises. That's another mode of transportation, but a little different than the others we've been discussing in that it's also the bulk of your vacation. Why are cruises good or not good for, for children uh, who are on the autism spectrum? Well, you're talking to someone whose mother hated flying, even though she was a travel <laughs> agent. So we spent a lot of time wow. on ships and I'm very preferential ships. Uh, the great thing is that if you're going to visit several places, uh, you're able to unpack once and stay in the same room. You're able to have a choice of meals. So your child might have a very specific limited um, choice of food types, and you can always find it on the ship, uh, whereas the parents don't have to be restricted to that. Uh, there are a lot of right. different options of where you're going to dine even the larger ships are big enough that you're going to be able to find quiet places on board because everybody's so spread out. Um, the kids clubs have been trained on the, on the major lines to work with people on the spectrum. So you're going to find people who know how to take care of your child. Meanwhile, the rest of your family can enjoy their vacation and do other things. Right. And um, when you're in port, you don't have to go on a shore excursion. You can use that time to explore the ship, which is going to be much quieter, and uh, you can use all the facilities without a lot of crowds. Now, in the book, you specifically call out Royal Caribbean as being a company that has done a lot of work on making the neurodiverse comfortable on these ships. What are they doing? Well, they were the first. And so um, they were very on top of everything. They, I do list everything they do, including having sensory toys, having, uh, at that time, they were having, I believe, um, you could get around the muster drills. But now I find huh. that a lot of, I was just on Celebrity, and I found that now the muster drills are not the chaotic experience they used to be. You can just do everything through your uh, television in your room, oh, which is a huh. terrific thing because now you don't have yeah. to have the kid wearing this this heavy 
uh, life jacket that I'm sure they're right. not going to enjoy. But they were, you know, they, it's such a long chapter and it goes over so many different yeah. things they do. But I believe that there are special food options and it's just, right. they were the first. And also a company that worked with them and now works with many other lines is Autism on the Seas, who put together group cruises for families on the spectrum so that, mm. um, and they'll organize individual trips as well. But if you want to go with other families and sort of meet people who are going through the same experiences that you are, they're a great place to look. And they also put together um, grants if you can't afford to travel. Right, right. Uh, so so Royal Caribbean was one of the first in uh, the cruising sphere to deal with the needs of <clears throat> families with neurodiverse members. But there are other resorts and theme parks and other types of travel entities that are also doing this work. So let's go through some of those. Yeah. Uh, beaches resorts, what do they do for families uh, that, that make them a good option? You know, beaches are the first of the uh, advanced autism, uh, certified autism centers. So they are really pioneers. And along with doing things like signage, so you'll know where to find the quieter places, uh, low, you know, low sensory areas on uh, on resort. Um, they also um, have sensory maps, so you'll know where to go on property. They have huh. special menus for people on the spectrum, special check-in options. Everybody's trained to work with your family. So... Um, and again, if your child's in the kids club and you have children who are not on the spectrum, everybody can find something to do. So um, right. I've been to beaches and it's a terrific vacation. You also give special kudos to Disney, to the Disney theme parks. And, and really what, they, what they're doing sounds, sounds pretty extraordinary. Yeah, well, Disney was one of the pioneers to really um, do strollers as wheelchairs so that you could keep your stroller with you as long as you could, and also devising ways to uh, cut the lines so you didn't have to have a child waiting for an hour, which whether you're on the spectrum or not, it's it's really infuriating to have to do that. But yeah. now other <laughs> theme parks are also getting into the act, and you've got Legoland and Sesame Place uh, and SeaWorld mm. and all these resorts that have realized and theme parks who have realized that this is um, a population that deserves to enjoy themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, but I thought it was very telling or very smart of Disney that they train everybody they, who works there, they call cast members, but they cha train every single cast member to understand that if they see a child having a meltdown, it may not be a parenting issue. It may be that the child is on the spectrum and here's how to help that family get perhaps privacy or, or get uh, into a situation where the, where the child can soothe him or herself. Yeah, I was just in Anaheim for Disney, the launch of Disney 100. And I've got to say, Disney's on top of things and they really run a tight ship and they know what they're doing when it comes to helping every, every uh, visitor. So it's not surprising to me that they would have been a pioneer in this. Yeah. Is there another company that you would you would recommend to uh, uh, families with kids on the spectrum uh, to use or to go to or to, to just shout out to? I would absolutely check out autismtravel.com, which is a website that's powered by IBCCES, because 
they will list all the uh, destinations that have taken the training to be um, certified autism centers, even cities that have gone all in like Mesa, Arizona and Visalia, California, um, because I, I relied on them for my book. It's always changing. But I also included other destinations that are certified by other organizations. So I try to have a more comprehensive view, but autismtravel.com is a great place to start. Great. Uh, well, I said at the beginning of this interview that you have a legacy in travel through your family. Uh, tell our listeners about that. Uh, I do. My my parents owned Barclay Travel Limited, which uh, developed into Barclay International Group, which were pioneers in short-term apartment rentals in Europe before anyone else was doing it. Yep. But also Barclay Travel was one of the leading corporate travel agencies in Manhattan. Both my parents, uh, Harry and Bunny Barclay, were involved in that. And they were covered in your dad's book. So it uh, turns out <laughs> they're the same age as your dad. And I think, they've yeah. met, I think they've met briefly, but I love that uh, both of them were pioneers in their own way in the travel industry. So it's very cool to, to speak with you. Yeah, absolutely. And they're both 93, yep. uh, both still around, thankfully. Um, well, it's been such a delight speaking with you. Thank you so much for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening. That's it for this week's show. Let me say, if you are traveling, I wish you a hearty bon voyage. I'll see you next week. Change.